Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you had a great weekend. It's so nice to be back here spending time with you. Maybe you've heard this at church where you're hearing things like, we had no idea things were so bad that they were going to get a divorce. Or I remember she whispered to me at our women's Bible study, she feared her husband was involved with another woman, but I just couldn't believe he would do such a thing. And should the church get involved in a couple's marriage problems? We've got the ultimate expert, Dr. Bob Muller, to talk to us about that. He and Cheryl uh, have Four Keeps Ministries. You can learn more about them at fourkeepsministries.com. They're also co-author of a book called The Six Hearts of Intimacy, Enjoy Deeper Love and Passion in Marriage. Always enjoy having Bob on the show. Bob, welcome. Hey, good afternoon. I would say this is probably a a little bit of a, a controversial topic, huh? Or maybe not. This is why you don't hear it discussed very often. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think the last time I actually heard a discussion of this. Um, I'm not quite sure when that was, if it ever was. I know talking to some of my pastor friends, we've talked about this, and the strange silence of the church when it comes to the breakup of homes often. Um, But no, usually it's not talked about, and we'll agree from the very beginning it's controversial. Mm Mm-hmm. And sometimes if we had just known that they were in trouble earlier, maybe we could have helped. Well, that's so true. I mean, there's sometimes you get blindsided. You didn't know that a couple was struggling. You had no idea they were, their marriage was unraveling. And then one day uh, you get the word they're separated or somebody's filed and the shock waves go through the church. But... I also know of, and I'm speaking after 25 years of being a pastor, um, that there are warning signs. There's often distant thunder uh, that indicates something's quite not right. You don't see them together at church anymore. Um, When you do see them, there seems to be no interaction, no real genuine uh, comment. And often... You know, somebody has hinted to someone else that there are problems. I can think of very few examples. Now, I wasn't always told, but almost in every case, someone else in the church was told, hey, we're having real problems. Mm -hmm. But because we live in a society, I'm going to call it radical autonomy. Okay. Which nobody can tell me what to do. Nobody should have any business with my business Mm -hmm. you know in general i think it's true we need to respect each other's private lives and have boundaries but when it comes to the breakup of a home and particularly for sinful reasons well i guess almost every case that might but i'm talking about adultery desertion uh, physical violence uh pornography habit Um, Those are sin issues. 
And if you are a member of the church, and I want to clarify this at the very beginning, really, we only have the authority to discipline a church member, a, a person, if they are a church member, because they've agreed to live under the church's bylaws, constitution, ultimately the scriptures. They've agreed to that. If they're just a visitor or non-member, you're in a little bit more of a difficult situation. Mm -hmm. You might be able to warn them. You might be able to caution, even rebuke them. But church discipline is for church members only. So that is an important distinction. However, Bill, the problem is almost always people know something, but they don't say something. And the reason being, well, I don't want to meddle in someone's private affairs. I don't want them to get angry at me. What if I'm wrong? Um, it's just really none of our business at the end of the day. And today I'd like to argue the last the last thing I said is just not true biblically. Okay. But what about the person that might be thinking, this feels gossipy, and I don't want to do that? Well, we understand that. Um, that, no, we don't want to gossip. But there is a difference between gossip simply because it's salacious, simply because it's like uh, those Proverbs says the morsels that go down to the innermost person. There's a certain, uh, they're, they're, it's delectable. And that's what keeps the tabloids going and certain cable programs and whatever is gossip is one of those sins that uh, the soul can feed on. Mm -hmm. But that's different than seeing somebody who's headed for disaster. Okay. So, but, and, oh, go ahead. No. So you, I, I was just going to illustrate that with something okay. very quick. One summer, uh, Cheryl and I were invited to speak at a camp in North Dakota. And I think it was Cooperstown Bible Camp, if I remember right. It was years ago, decades ago. When the camp was over, there had been a lot of rainfall that week. And for North Dakota, typically dry, very unusual. Well, we loaded up our stuff and headed back to Minneapolis where we lived. And we came over a hill, and there was an orange highway truck, dump truck, parked across both lanes in a major highway. So I drove up to it, and there was a man standing there, and he says, sir, you want to turn around? And I go, why? And he goes, well, you don't want to go over that hill. <laughs> and I said, why not? He said, because there is a river raging oh, wow. on the other side of that. He said the current would sweep you and your family away in a heartbeat. And I said, well, okay, I promise not to, to drive <laughs> over, but can I look at it? Uh -huh. Can I, I just peek? Can I just, he goes, okay, if you promise you're just going this far. So he let me pass him and we drove up there. And sure enough, on the other side, where there was normally prairie or a rather dry, low spot in the road, was a torrential whitewater rapids that was uh he was right the velocity of it would have swept us away now was that man gossiping no when he told not to go over the hill no well i consider divorce and all of the havoc destruction heartbreak loss of security and i'm talking primarily for children now who are the true victims of divorce. When you consider that they're headed towards that, if they just go over the hill, if they actually file the papers and follow through, isn't love standing on the hill and saying, don't go over this, mm -hmm. please don't go over this, for the sake of everyone. That is not gossip, that is compassion. 
Let me read a, a verse from Proverbs chapter 24, verses 11 to 13. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? What the word of God says is when it comes to saving somebody from destruction, we really don't have any excuses. Mm-hmm. When you go down to the beach on a hot summer day and a sign goes up that says, no swimming today, shark infested waters, you would consider that a good thing. Yeah, you would. You're not mad at the uh, sign and you're not mad at the person that put up the sign. Oh, you know, warnings are an act of love. They're not an act of manipulation or intrusiveness. And the truth of the matter is, Bill, that, and I, again, I'm sitting and now as someone who works with troubled marriages every week or almost every week of the year, been doing it for now for decades. I have yet to see a divorce that does not devastate the children. Mm-hmm. And does not change and alter the course of those who choose to do it. Are there innocent parties? Everyone listening? Yes, I get that. Mm-hmm. There are times it is tragically necessary. Yes, I get that too. So don't misunderstand. But in so many cases, something could have been done, at least attempted, at least attempted um, to try and save the marriage. I was a pastor several years ago. This didn't happen recently. But I learned that a man was having an online affair, and that had been confirmed by several family members. It wasn't just gossip. And they came to me and said, would you do something? And the man had children and had been married for many years. And so one morning, he was surprised to come down the stairs, wiping his eyes from the night's sleep, and myself and another elder were sitting on his couch at 6 a.m. We had arranged with the wife to let us in. What are you guys doing here? And I think the first thing the elder said or I did is said, we love you. That's why we're here. Mm. We love you, and we love your wife, and we love your children. And we love you enough to tell you what you're doing is wrong. And that morning... (laughs) At 6 a.m. in the man's living room, uh, we confronted him with the evidence that had been given to us, and he did not deny it. He did not say we were wrong. Um, You know, this doesn't guarantee that someone's going to turn around. But, Bill, this is part of my concern. Someday, when those children are adults, they may ask the question, my parents went to church. They said they were Christians. Where were they when my dad was drinking and beating my mom? Where were they when my mom fell in love with a guy at work? Why didn't they say anything? You know, how would we answer them? It wasn't our business. We were afraid we'd be seen in the wrong light. It might be considered by some. Uh, to be intrusive or controlling. And I also want to clarify for listeners today, Bill, I'm not talking about being a cult leader, okay? (laughs) I'm not talking about choosing who people marry and how many kids they have and where they live. I mean, those kind of cults exist. 
And I've known people that have been part of that. That's spiritual abuse. I'm just talking about being a shepherd who cares for his sheep. And if one wanders off, um, you go looking for them. Mm-hmm. Go and try and find them. So, so and you, you try and restore them. Yeah. You're not trying to have uh, manipulation in other person's lives. It sounds like you're just you're showing up with love and a sense of accountability. Well, yes. I mean, again, listen to what Scripture says about this. Um, took a couple of passages, Galatians 6, 1 and 2, and James 5, 19. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. That's Galatians. James says, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. Um, You can see that there's a certain spirit in which we have to approach people. Humility, love, not arrogance, not to humiliate, punish, shame someone but instead to restore them. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. Bob, let me take my first break. Dr. Bob Muller is my guest, and 4keepsministries.com is his website. You can go learn more about him, 4keepsministries.com. And we're going to continue our discussion uh, today about should the church get involved in a couple's marriage problems? I'd love to hear from you. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. Welcome to the show. Dr. Bob Moeller is my guest today. We're talking about should the church get involved in a couple's marriage problems First question that popped up on the text line, Bob, was it's a private warning, right? Not a public one. Yes. Yes, it is. I mean, there if they're a member, there's obviously the Matthew 18 um, uh, uh, procedure. You go and show them their fault, you know, privately. You go and explain, you know, where they're in error. And uh, it's not broadcast. It's not in the bulletin. It's not in the... It's not a crawler on the sign, electronic sign outside. No, it's private to begin with. But remember, this person is a church member. Mm-hmm. They did pledge themselves to abide by the church's um, standards and ultimately the scriptures. And all you're doing in this case is trying to, to help them see they are outside of that, if indeed they're involved in a serious pornography, uh, in an adulterous situation, uh, beating their spouse, any number of those very serious things that would, I think we'd all classify as sin. 
we're just coming with that to them to point out their sin and try to restore them. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, I want to go back to this uh, idea of you and another elder from the church in someone's living room at 6 a.m. I'm just curious, can you walk us through how that went and did the marriage get restored? Did they end up not staying together? I'm just I'm curious yeah. about that experience. Well, again, I was asked by the wife to speak to him. The reason I took someone with me is I wanted a witness. Um, I wanted a witness in terms of what I said and what they said. Um, you know, if you go in those kinds of situations by yourself, uh, they can say you said anything and, you know, whatever. I I tend to just bring someone along to, to verify that this is what we said and this is how it was said. Um, at the time, it seemed to get his attention. It seemed to be kind of a wake-up call. And they stayed together for a while longer, but ultimately, he did choose to leave her for another woman. And I want to stress that getting involved does not in any way ensure that it will be a happy ending, Mm -hmm. joyful ending. You are just trying to live with a clear conscience. And you are just trying to be obedient. Um, We are accountable as teachers, pastors, shepherds. We're accountable for our flock to the extent that we teach them, lead them, care for them, attempt to bring them back. Why is this so important? Well, in our ministry, for Keeps Ministries, we believe that um, if you heal two hearts, you restore a marriage. If you restore a marriage, you save a family. If you save a family, you strengthen the local church. If you strengthen the local church, you impact your community. And if you impact your community, you have the possibility of transforming your culture. So what starts as a very small ripple in the pond can have very long-lasting, larger-than-life consequences. I mean, look at what the breakup of families, fatherlessness and whatever has done to our culture, our society. Look what it's done to the church. Look what it's done um, particularly to boys, to men who don't have a role model and have never seen a successful marriage and are going to struggle if they get married to know what they can do. And it just keeps going. I find that the breakup of homes doesn't just affect that generation or the next. It can be three generations or even four. So again, it is out of love. And I, I want to say this, that too often we're fatalistic when we don't need to be. In other words, the idea always oh, having an affair, she's decided there's nothing to be done. That's just not true. Uh, in our ministry, we see couples at that stage or near that stage almost every week. And the vast majority of them reconcile and choose to stay together. Now, it calls for the church, for example, having a marriage ministry beyond just a date night, a marriage ministry where perhaps people are trained to come alongside hurting couples, couples that are in crisis. It calls for the church having a network of people that you can also refer them to for further help. But I really do want to stress this. I believe in the sufficiency of the church, the sufficiency of scripture, 
But I believe the church at least should be the first line of help for a couple that's struggling. Our, our tendency is always to, you know, refer them out to professionals. And of course, there's great value in that. But actually, we have helped train churches and laymen to respond like paramedics, the, to be the first responders to come alongside a couple and help them. And we've seen some wonderful results. Now, it may be more serious where they need an ER doctor because they're at that stage. And uh, we can train staff and others to function. Now, they may need uh, you know, an outside counselor with, with the credentials and whatever. But I, I think we've undersold the possibility that lay people properly trained and, and uh, mentored and, and can serve as interns, that they can do tremendous um, things as the first line of defense or the first thing that people might go to uh, in the church. I, I think there's a mindset in some places, certainly not all churches today, that, well, any marriage problem, that's outside the scope of the church. Um, we don't have any idea how we would, you know, we, that's that's so far beyond us. Well, some cases, yes, perhaps. A great number of cases? No, I disagree with that. I say that the church, the staff, and this doesn't mean working your poor pastor to death with every marriage crisis. If anything, it's to take these things off his plate, but to train people in how to intervene in a loving way and help people begin to discover the issues that are at work, the hard issues that are at work, and how their hearts can be healed. And we've done this for numerous churches. And today there are lay couples all over the United States that are being used of God in their church to help such hurting couples. So my, I guess what I'm saying is, let's not write off the church from the very beginning that they have nothing to offer, or they have to go to the pastor or they'll get no help. There are more answers available than that. Bob Muller, you say a lot of smart things. Uh, my listener, listener here that I think said also a very smart thing, uh, marriage problems are always worship problems in the, in the heart of at least one individual. The church is called the discipleship. We should be lovingly pursuing anyone who is struggling with worshiping an idol, praying for them and walking alongside them to help them recognize the greatest joy is worship of Jesus. Oh, that's so well said. Oh, I know. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, usually whenever there is something that draws somebody out of the marriage covenant, it is idolatrous in nature. Mm-hmm. Another question just popped up. If a friend shares that her husband is having an affair, would it be best for me to suggest she connect with the church pastors? Yes, I have four or five suggestions, and I don't know if we need to get to them in a second. No, now. we'll have to do that after the break because we're coming okay. up against a break here. Well, I have minute. five very, hopefully, very practical answers to that. That's awesome. Like that. Yeah. Dr. Bob Muller is my guest. We're continuing our discussion on should Christians get involved in other people's marriage problems. If you have a question or comment, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. And if Faith Radio has become part of your daily journey with God, we'd love to hear your story. Share how God is using Faith Radio to encourage you and help you grow. You can do that at myfaith.com. 
radio.com. We'll be right back with Dr. Bob Moeller in just a minute. You can learn more about him at his website, fourkeepsministries.com. So glad to be with Dr. Bob Moeller today. We're talking about should Christians get involved in other people's marriage problems? And Bob is arguing, yes, yes, we should. And not in a cult-like way or not in a manipulative way, but a point you made earlier, Bob, when it came to a family growing up in a church, and then we've got a difficult marriage that's falling apart, an abusive dad or an alcoholic uh, mother or something, the kids might one day go, where's the church in all of this? Why weren't they helping us? And like you say, there's important that if there's a warning sign, we need to let people know that there's trouble ahead and do whatever we can do to come alongside and serve. So one of the questions right before break was if a man share, if a friend shares that her husband is having an affair, would it be best for me to suggest she connect with the church pastors? And you've got five points to make on this. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, she should recommend that he go to the, she go to the pastor. And I'll go one step further, that if she does not, uh, if the wife is unwilling to, then that person should. And you go, oh, wait, 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 wait. Now you've betrayed a confidence. You've broken a word. Hold on a second. What's betrayal? Is betrayal sharing something that is, is potentially dangerous, life-threatening, with someone could help? Or is betrayal doing nothing so that eventually the marriage succumbs? I guess it depends on your definition of betrayal. Mm-hmm. But I would go to the pastor. First, we members of the congregation, we go to the person in the spirit of love and humility and urge them to seek help from the pastoral leadership. That we go and we, we say, please call the pastor. Please call, you know, this leader or whatever. Please tell them. That is a first step that we do that. But if you become aware a couple is in a real marital crisis, I think you should bring the matter to the attention of the pastor or church leadership yourself. Um, You are caring enough to save a marriage, a family, and the future long-term well-being of children. There are times, it's true in the, I read to people when they come to me for help with their marriage, a list of four exceptions to confidentiality that are state mandated because the state has decided there are some things that are so potentially hurtful and dangerous that normal rules of confidentiality don't apply. And and actually a pastor becomes a a state mandated reporter in that case. Well, I don't mean to take it necessarily to that level, but the principle is pretty much the same. There are some things so at stake. I mean, for example, if you were aware with good reason 
a spouse maybe would tell you, you know, I, my husband, I think he's taking church funds. You know, he's a treasurer, or a deacon, and I, I can't believe this, but I, I have every reason to believe that he's diverting church funds. Now, would that be private information? Or is that something the leadership at least should be aware of? Now, it may not be true. And of course, that could be established. And then I guess you need to apologize or at least whatever. But what if it is? Um, I, I knew of a church here in my area where a woman who had been the church treasurer or accountant for 22 years had taken almost $250,000 where she was discovered. I mean, things can happen. And you've got to be willing to go to the leadership. Now, if you're a pastor or a church leader, such as an elder, and you become aware of, again, with, with some corroboration here, of adultery, immorality, behavior that's threatening the marriage, its existence, you and another leader go and confront the person in love to, to establish whether it's true or not. Um, you just need to be willing to do that. Now, step four, and this is what I was alluding to earlier, the church should have in place a marriage ministry with trained individuals or the names of Bible-believing counselors to whom the couple can be referred. But rather than making, again, that the default that everything gets referred out, it's a matter of discipleship in many cases. That's what the person needs. They need someone to love them. They need someone to help them find healing for the sin and pain in their heart. And I firmly believe people in the church can be equipped to do that and ought to be equipped. One of the commitments, Bill, of our ministry is if we don't make life easier for the pastor when we go into a church, we won't go. Mm -hmm. If we're going to add to his already near uh, back-breaking workload, then he doesn't need that. But we come alongside and say, we'd love to train your staff or people in the church that you have uh, a degree of trust and respect, think they might. We are willing to do that so this can be taken off your plane, not put on, not another ministry put on it. You know, just imagine, Bill, if every church had two, three, four couples that had been trained in how to intervene in a loving way in a marriage that's in serious trouble. And the overall result of their ministry was a great deal of reconciliation, a great deal of at least stabilizing the couple so they could get further help. I mean, imagine the relief many pastors would feel if they didn't have to carry that burden alone. Bob, when I look at the, the, the should the church intervene in, in a marriage, uh, people that are having marriage problems, I, I'm also aware of that I'm wondering where the friends are in the lives of these people in, in a troubled marriage. Um, if if I was the treasurer of a church and I was stealing money from the church, my close friends would go, hey, what's with the new car? <laughs> how'd, you yeah, pull that? Right. how'd you afford that? Yeah, because they, exactly. they would kind of have an idea as to what I could afford and they'd go, where'd you get that money? They'd be right. all over me. And I, I don't know how it sometimes, where, where is the, the accountability group? Where is the core uh, friends that are in the lives of these people that 
doesn't have to be a pastor or an elder that show up at a person's house at six in the morning. I'm not saying what you did wasn't, I think what you no, did was fantastic, no. but I'm wondering yeah. where are the friends in these people's lives? Well, exactly. That, you know, scripture says that faithful are the wounds of a friend in Proverbs. And sometimes friends have to tell us the hard truth. Mm-hmm. No, for example, I see you talking to the same woman after church almost every week right. for 10 minutes. Why, why are you talking to her? Are, are you on some committee? <laughs> there you, you know? go. Mm-hmm. Or you're, you're, you're having lunch in a restaurant and you look over and there's someone from the church you know well. Yeah. And they're having lunch with an attractive woman, maybe a co-worker. But I like the Billy Graham set of rules that you never eat lunch with a woman alone. If you're not married to or a relative. Yeah. Don't, don't have private personal conversations. That's what I'm saying. There are always warnings. There are always something that isn't quite right. And why can I say that? Because God will always expose darkness. I mean, sooner or later, he will always bring something to light if it's wrong particularly in the life of a believer. Um, God has a way of, of fouling, of messing up the well-laid plans of people. And so we have to be willing to, yeah, if they're a friend, go and say, I'm, I'm really worried about this. Um, you know, really, how is your marriage? What is going on? And not let the person just brush you aside. Yeah. And begin to really delve into that. Not so you can punish shame, humiliate them, but so that you can rescue them uh, before it's too late. Um, very, very few times, as I said at the top of the hour, does something like this happen without it is uh, escaping someone's notice or not escaping, I should say. And there is such a lack of good friends in people's lives, uh, especially men. Men lack good friends. From I was just reading something over the weekend that especially um, men suffer from this more than women do because women are more relational. Men don't have these heart-to-heart conversations as often as women do with one another. Yes. And as a you... Years ago, a, a classic book, The Friendless American Male. Okay. And this was like 30 years ago, 25 years ago. Their study found that most men, most men do not have one close yeah. friend. So and women, oh, that's impossible. I have eight good friends. How could you not have one? <laughs> yeah, right, right. So when Go they're ahead. so if men are living on islands, um, they're going to have a harder, harder time uh, when opposition comes up against their sinful lifestyle that they're just not going to like it at all. They're going to reject it completely. Well, you know, um, what's often going on is if you watch the Discovery Channel, you know, how wolves hunt down, you know, um, uh, moose or, I don't know, elk or whatever, mm-hmm. or reindeer in the Arctic. They just want to pull one away yeah. from the herd. Just one. And that, 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 that poor animal's doomed. Uh, because they'll, and Satan, of course, is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So you're kind of getting into another step, which is the church needs to be forming men's groups, couples groups, uh, marriage ministry, which again is more than a date night or a Valentine's party. Those are wonderful, but that's not the stuff of 
you know, real substantial change. Uh, we need to take seriously the work of, str of strengthening marriages and getting to people before it's too late or before they reach the red line, at least as much as possible. And if men are in a group with other men where they can be honest and real and share their problems, they'll discover most everybody there has struggles in their marriage. Everybody's been tempted in one way or another. Doesn't mean everybody's given in, but men understand one another. But beware of the, I don't want to say beware, be aware of the man who's all alone in the church, who seems to have no friends, takes part in little or nothing, quiet, withdrawn, isolated, reach out to them. And of course, if a woman finds herself in that position as well, reach out and invite them to be part of something um, where they can begin to feel they're not alone in whatever they're dealing with. Yeah, that, so, that can be one of the worst feelings when you're alone in a crowd. Yeah. And many churches, everybody knows each other and runs right past you mm -hmm. to greet their friends or go out to lunch or plan the next something with people they know. And those that are new um, can get ignored. And people that don't seem to be that is outgoing. In any case, I think there's so much the church could be doing to save marriages, both beforehand and even once they enter the crisis mode. There's so much. I can't guarantee the results. No one can. People at the end of the day will make their own decisions. But we have to try. We certainly have to try more than we are. Mm -hmm. Dr. Bob Muller is my guest. If you uh, had counseling or help from church family members or church leadership, they came alongside you when they understood that your marriage was in trouble. How did it go? I'm just curious if anyone is uh, brave enough to share a brief uh, story with, we would love to hear 877-933-2484. You can learn more about Bob's ministry at fourkeepsministries.com. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. So glad to have Dr. Bob Moeller on my show. We're talking about should Christians get involved in other people's marriage problems He's arguing, yes, we should. Of course, uh, Bob, let's just say a church member, because you come under the authority of church. So if you're a member, um, you should be willing to receive accountability and and uh, and uh, uh, admonitions from church uh, disciples or discipleship. But if you are unrepentant and you've been warned and you you remain unrepentant and I'm still going to be involved in this affair or I'm still going to use um, porn or whatever, what's the next step? Well, this is the uncomfortable one, and I'm sure this is the one that makes people squeamish, is that again, if a person is a church member, they've been warned you know, privately and there's been a, a fairly extensive process 
of trying to bring the person back into a committed relationship to Christ in their marriage. And they go, no, I'm going to marry this woman. I don't care if I'm leaving four kids. I don't care. You know, I'm in love. I It's my turn in life. And I'm just going to do this. And sadly, I have heard certain pastors use that same reasoning. I, I It's not reasonable, but that same argument to leave their spouses and to leave their church and marry the church secretary or do something else. So it can be a pastor, an elder, it can be someone in the church. But there is a final step, and that step is church discipline. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul gives us an illustration of this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does not even occur among pagans. A man actually has his father's wife, would have been a stepmother. Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. You know, Paul got upset with the Corinthian church that they were looking the other way when blatant sin uh, was taking place in there. And in that case, church discipline is called for. Um, it's a final step to try and bring the person back to repentance, but it may involve removing their church membership. Mm -hmm. And uh, publicly so. Um, that they are being removed because of an unrepentant state of adultery or something like that. Now, well, what if they choose to sue the church or what, you know, whatever? Well, I guess it's a risk you take, except once they became a member, they agreed to live by the standards of the church, including the word of God, which says, thou shalt not commit adultery. So when they signed up for that publicly and became a member, they agreed to abide by that and be accountable to that. Now, usually that kind of discipline is only reserved for fallen pastors or prominent church leaders. But again, the question would be why? But why would it be just for pastors or leaders? Why wouldn't it be for a member of the church who is living in open sin, disregarding the, the loving warnings, cautions, appeals of brother believers and sisters and still pursues that? It just could be that that step might convict them might someday bring them to their senses and might cause them to return. Um, I can tell you as a, a pastor, I've had, I, I spoke at a retreat one weekend in Wisconsin and um, a couple asked to see me afterwards. And uh, I met with them alone and they said, uh, Bob, our marriage began out of adultery. We both left our spouses to marry each other. And it was the greatest mistake either of us have ever made in our lives. And the woman cried. She said, I can't believe the suffering I brought into his life of his former wife. And that's not a one-time type of situation that I've encountered. People actually later wish someone had stopped them. Wish they had taken some, you know, the... Uh, electric paddles, the shock paddles to get a heart again, the defibrillators. They wish they had someone that tried to defibrillate their heart heart at some point. So believe me, at the end of the day, and if this isn't motivated by love, it shouldn't be done. Um, if it's done out of revenge or, you know, some other low motive, well, no. 
But if actually love is what's behind, you know, with tears. And, and fortunately, in the, the Corinthians story, we read in 2 Corinthians, the man repented. And he was restored. And Paul said the, the sorrow he has experienced by being, you know, taken from the church is sufficient. Now receive him back as a brother. And of course, the goal is always to restore people to the fellowship, not ban them to some Star Trek distant galaxy forever. Bob, so I know there's people that just climbed into their car 10 minutes ago, so they were wondering how we got started on this topic. And we live in an age, like you say, of such radical autonomy that no one has the right to tell me how to live. And and what you're saying is you're arguing in favor of this accountability where we say we are a loving church, we love you, and we're trying to... Uh, help you address this situation in the kindest way possible because you say that the victims of divorce all always are the children of course and there's going to be that day when they're old enough and they're going to look back and go where was the church in all of this when my dad was drinking and beating my mother or or when my mother left us for the man that she met at work why didn't somebody step up and say something or do something and you know something, if if the church does step up, you know, the Bible says a friend loves at all times, mm-hmm. all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And so, you know, you, you may have done everything you can to save the situation, and it still wasn't. But you know what? Those kids, I think they're going to grow up loving God. I think those kids are going to have a high view of the church. And that, look, my church tried. You know, I saw the tears in the eyes of the pastor and the elders as they talked to my dad or mom. I saw the visits. I knew what was going on. And I, I think, yes, they'll be brokenhearted. But when they grow up, they will have such respect for the church. And they will believe that the church really cares about them. And will help them put their life back together again. And I'd rather have that scenario than one where they go, why was everybody quiet? Everybody saw what was going on and they didn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. Do I have time for one very quick story? Oh, please. Uh, yeah, no. 60-second story. Take your time. Um, I was, I had lunch one day with a guy who told me he was going to divorce his wife. And I won't go into the details of why, but he was going to divorce. And I looked at him and I decided to take a chance because I loved him and his wife and their kids. I said, your your son is in medical school, right? He goes, yeah. And I said, he's about to graduate. Am I correct? He goes, yes. I said, what I've heard is there's a day of graduation where they give the white coat with the name of the doctor now on it. And it's a big ceremony when they put the white coat on. And he goes, yeah, that's going to happen. And I said, really, that's that's meant to be one of the happiest days in that man, that child's life, right? They've made it. Yeah. I said, now imagine you do divorce her, and he looks out that day, and you're sitting at the far right side of the room, and she's at the other left side of the room, and maybe each of you have somebody else with you. What's that going to do to his heart when he sees you two split up opposite ends of the room? I said, what's that going to do to the greatest day of his life, the date? 
he thought about it. He said, well, I, I guess that would, that would kind of ruin it, wouldn't it? I said, yeah, you're absolutely right. It would ruin it. I said, why don't you both, and you in particular, forgive your wife? Why don't you two reconcile? And why don't you two be sitting together <laughs> at graduation? Mm -hmm. Well, he went home and thought about it. He called me up, wanted another breakfast. He said, really, that would ruin it? Ruin it? I said, absolutely, we'll ruin it. I don't care what he says, it will ruin it. He called me up a while later and said, I, I listened to what you said. We're going to reconcile. And he did. And that was many years ago now. And I asked him, did you two go to the ceremony? He goes, yeah, we sure did. Did you sit next to it? We sure did. <laughs> I said, was he happy? Oh, greatest day of his life do you regret doing that he goes no no not at all that's the right thing you see sometimes we really need to be honest with our friends we, we really need to take it across the line and help them see where this is all going to end not to shame humiliate punish better than thou no but because you love their kids and you love them and it's at least worth a shot. I'm so glad you took that chance. You took that risk. And and you confronted him in a very heartfelt, loving way. I mean, you you really struck a nerve there. That was uh, well done. Well, and the wonderful story is they're together today. And when I asked them, they say they're doing very, very well. Oh, that's fantastic. Bob, always a pleasure. You took a tough topic today and you uh, you put some really great applications into this. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. You bet. Dr. Bob Moeller has been my guest. Go learn about him at fourkeepsministries.com, fourkeepsministries.com. That's our show for the day. Thank you so much for joining me. And thanks to Dr. Mark Musco, Ask the Professor, Hour One. If you missed any of it, you can always go to the podcast and check it out. He answered some great questions today. And Bob Moeller's discussion today on should the church get involved in troubled marriages. That's what we talked about today. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.